Hello and welcome. This is the Race and Podcast, a series of interviews and conversations hosted by the Society of Architectural Historians, Race and Architectural History Group. The purpose of this podcast is to examine the historical intersections that exist between race and the built environment. From specific studies of architecture to the expressive and material cultures of different groups, and the implications of infrastructure and policy initiatives. If it exists in the built environment, we will try to find a way to discuss it here. My name is Maura Lucking, and I'm an assistant professor of architectural history at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and a co-chair of the Race and Architectural History Group. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a new series of live events, the recordings of which have generously been shared with us by group member and SEH board member, Dr. Anuradha Ayer Siddiqui, an assistant professor of architecture at Barnard College. As a part of the course, Colonial Practices, she and her students organized this series of discussions at Barnard and the Columbia University Institute of Comparative Literature and Society. The series, called Building Solidarities, was conceived as a form of mutual pedagogy between the campus and the public through dialogues on urgent questions about constructed environments, urban life, and ecologies with community partners, including the Go Down Art Center, Navatman, The Red Nation, Warscapes, Jadalia.com, and Status Podcast. You can find out more information about each of these on our website. We'll be sharing four conversations from the series here on Race and. Today's episode, Institutional Inhabitations, considers cultural institutions and the building of Black-Brown solidarity in the African and South Asian diasporas of Nairobi and New York. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Institutional Inhabitations. This is the first in a series of dialogues that is part of Building Solidarities. Uh, which we hope to be a form of mutual pedagogy between our campus and the public on constructed environments, urban life, and ecologies. This series, um, which this term focuses on racial justice in the built environment, foregrounds the communities of Minneapolis, Nairobi, and New York. In order to process the conditions around the murder of George Floyd and its aftermath, in in these three cities whose racial histories have long impacted the built environment and also, as we all know, um, inspired recent sympathy protests. Our dialogues here are guided by the students that you see on the screen. Um, They're in a course called Colonial Practices that's held by the Barnard and Columbia Colleges Architecture Department um, and the Columbia Institute of Comparative Literature and Society and we welcome you into our seminar classroom. This week, we're also intersecting with the university seminar in contemporary African studies, which I co-chair with Professor Abuseri George. And my name is Anuradha Sibiki. So welcome everyone. 
So our aim in the Building Solidarities Dialogues is to build mutual solidarities between our campus and our partners. We're all experts here and we're all students here. We also aim to extend the political imaginaries, the community futures, and the solidarities that our partners build with each other. So as we study racial environmental complexities and injustices, we are hoping to remain vigilantly reflexive about the relationship between our campus and our neighbors in Harlem and elsewhere. To begin with, we would like to acknowledge the communities, lives, and futures that are affected as we study, the essential workers who make it possible for us to conduct work, the Lenape elders, relatives, and children whose land our campus occupies and who have been stewards of this land, and the displaced peoples and citizens of many indigenous nations for whom New York has been home. All Black people, especially those whose enslavement is written into the wealth of our institution and the past and present Harlem neighbors to whose labor and disenfranchisement our campus owes a debt. Migrants from all over the world whose dispossession and sacrifices have ensured the prosperity of our institution, especially those impacted by US imperial interests who arrive here to participate in its economy or flee homes targeted by its military those we have lost in a pandemic due to colonial practices that we've allowed to persist, and those who remain at risk due to inhumane economies, carceral and security states, and racist, casteist, and misogynistic policies that we must actively refuse. Linda Tuiwai Smith warned that, quote, belief in the ideal that benefiting mankind is indeed a primary outcome of scientific research is as much a reflection of ideology as it is of academic training. It becomes so taken for granted that many researchers simply assume that they as individuals embody this ideal and are natural representatives of it when they work with other communities." End of quote. In working with our partners, we take up her challenge to quote, question the assumed nature of those ideals and the practices they generate, end of quote. In doing so, we make a wish for peace. This dialogue will be recorded and by sharing your comments and questions in the Q&A, which you, the button that you see um, at the bottom of the screen, um, by sharing your comments and questions in that thread, you consent to their publication. The web or podcast um, made from this recording will be hosted by the organizations who visit us today. And we are visited by two wonderful organizations. The Godown Arts Center is a Nairobi multidisciplinary art space that provides facilities for artists, presents public programs, and builds creative sector capacity and discourse in East Africa, bringing together a range of conceptualizations and media. Navatman is a music and dance collective rooted in classical Indian tradition and based in New York City, producing new format cross-genre collaborations and original compositions alongside making traditional format performances accessible to wide audiences. I warmly welcome our four guests. I think they will assure you that the women are here and they're not going anywhere.
Joy Mboya is the executive director and founder of the Godown Arts Center. Welcome, Joy. Uh, maybe turn off your mic for a moment. Thank you. Yes, hello everyone. Thank you very much, Anu. Garnet Oluoch Olunya is a Godown Arts Center strategic consultant in arts and culture. Welcome, Garnet. Thank you, Anu. Hello, everybody. Sahasra Sambamurthy is the co-founder and artistic director of Navatman. Welcome, Sahasra. Thank you for having me today. Keisha Brown is a faculty member with the Navatman School. Welcome, Keisha. Hello, thank you for inviting me. You can find their expanded bios and the expanded uh, descriptions of the organization in the research guide that we shared with you um, in advance of this webcast. And with that, I would like to invite the students to guide the discussion and um, just to explain how we will proceed. I will serve as moderator and I invite audience members to participate via the Q&A thread, as I mentioned. We thought that this method would preserve the intimacy of our classroom, yet invite our esteemed audience into our space. The more a question or a comment is liked, the more it's promoted to the top of the thread. Um, and so I invite participants, um, all the participants, the students and our guests, um, to reference these questions and use them to build up your own. Um, or we may dedicate a special time to them at the end. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. We're all a little bit nervous with this experimental format. So we're really relying on um, our great fortune of having guests who have spent a lot of time in the performing arts. So with that, I will turn this over to Noah. Hi everyone, I'm Noah, Colonial Practices student. Um, so the first question that our class drafted for all of you is um, if you could just tell us about the highlights and pitfalls of building your organizations and how you see your organization fitting into the cultural milieu. I think that we've um, essentially thought that maybe uh, we could go in a round and so each of the four of you could respond to the question. So you could start with whoever feels like they have an answer. I'll go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Navatman is, like Anuradha said, a organization for Indian, specifically Indian classical, although even that term, as you guys know, Indian classical puts it from into like a colonial space. So all sorts of fun stuff to deal with there. Uh, Indian classical dance and music um, in New York City. We're based in Midtown Manhattan and have kind of been here from the start. We've had over six or seven spaces as we've built our uh, institute over here, or again, whatever you want to call it, found organization. Uh, and that's actually probably been our biggest, one of our biggest pitfalls is the fact that uh, as we've grown in New York City, we've never found a space that has allowed us to be in New York City. Um, almost every space we were in in New York has been dealing with landlords who have either given us cases of like sexual harassment, they've threatened us, or been quite 
racist with us, called us gorillas, apes, for doing the form that we do because it created a noise that they weren't happy with. And so the um, switching of all of these spaces was essentially because the landlords were kind of constantly kicking us out. And they would find within the power structure, oh, this, that, the other thing, bury us in legal fees, and we would leave. Um, so interestingly, that was probably one of the major pitfalls of this organization. Having said that, we have a really beautiful community who has stuck with us through many of those things. Obviously, you have some people who will blame the organization and say it's their fault for not being able to hold down a space. But I would say 95% of the constituents at Navatman have given us their loyalty, their love, um, their support, and kind of stood with us through all of this. So we've both got this really wonderful um, community based in the principles of Indian classical dance and music. And then we've had to deal with like the structural stuff. I think those were really, really not fun pitfalls to deal with. As far as acceptance of the organization itself, um, we've faced both, right? We've had a lot of people, whether it was the New York Times kind of getting excited by the fact that it's Indian dance and things like that, reviewing our paper, uh, our performances to a lot of love. Um, but we've also faced like sister organizations in this city not enjoying that fact as well. I think those are things that come with founding any kind of organization, especially when you're doing things that are new or different. And the big thing is when you are also new, it's also new and different because you look different or you, the organization has never been really seen before at that level, you're also adding that to the pile as well. So I'm not sure if that exactly answers the question, but I would say those would be my immediate responses. <clears throat>
not just as barriers that somebody was trying to put in front of us, but actually the, the, the very sort of critical issues and questions that, that come with, with city making um, in, in a post-colonial country, nation, but also nation making um, in a country that is newly independent. So yeah, so these are some of these are some of the barriers. And I think the exciting thing though is, is getting to a place where we begin to understand um, the kind of values upon which we build our future direction, how we become more intentional, um, how we find purpose in the things that we're doing, how we begin to how we begin to connect with the communities that you know that that are around us that we think we serve. Um, yeah, so so yeah, so so the, so the, the barrier and the problem has also been uh, a kind of a, a doorway into the solution. I appreciate these openings on discussions of space, which is a little of where we're going in this course. Um, Keisha and Garnet, do you have more that you'd like to add? Um, may I jump in now? Uh, I think just to add on to you know what what Joy has said, um, you know because I came to the go down um, from the university. And I used to bring my students to that space because of all the exciting um, things that were happening, um, you know, with with the the, the programs that they they, they put up uh, on, you know, women and literature and things like that. And um, <clears throat> one of the things I did find about uh, the go down was that quite apart from just engaging with the city and, you know, with the nation, that they were actually very outward facing. And I will confess, I asked Joy this afternoon, you know, how it is that they had a vision for East Africa, for the region, um, even at that early stage. And she said it had to do with the partnerships as well that they had, that some of the partners were regional in their outlook. And so the go down actually also, you know, tended to extend its reach um, to, to the region. And so some of the most exciting um, things that have happened to me have actually happened through the GoDowns outreach program, such that um, from there, I joined the Arterial Network, uh, which was actually headquartered at the GoDown. And we got to know the artists uh, well beyond our own small space and have interacted with them and continue to interact with them to this day. And so for me, you know, that broadening of, of our own practice has now dovetailed into things like the AU program, for instance. And so, you know, we were there before this happened. And so for me, it's been very exciting that way. Keisha, I wanted to give you some space to say something. If you have okay. I didn't know when to jump in. <laughs> Always a thing with Zoom. But um, for Navatman, I can't speak too much to building the organization foundation-wise because I came in many years after Sahaswa had started it. But in terms of building and expanding the organization community-wise, it comes down to discussion and more discussion and more discussion. And before you know it, you're peeling back all of these layers to see what can we as an arts organization offer to the communities around us 
what are these communities looking for? What are they yearning for? What are the things that they need to connect? And we've had some very beautiful points and discussions come up through that. Um, and a new sense of cultural awareness, really, because you think you know your city and where you live and the people around you, but you don't really get to know and observe those things until you start to really dive into that. Thanks so much. Can I go ahead, Professor Siddiqui? Um, so for our second question, and my name is Athena. I'm a, also a colonial practices student. Um, thank you so much for sharing your responses already. It's exciting that you've already touched so much on um, your organization's relationship to uh, the city communities and spaces that you find yourselves in. We, when we were learning about your organizations as a class, we noticed um, how much of your programming has an aspect of going out into the city and performing for collaborating with um, those communities. And we were hoping you could speak more to um, how you've worked with the built environments and communities of Nairobi and New York. And also the, if you could answer or just give us some, some thoughts about what you gain from having a community approach. I open the floor. Any, I think any one of the four of you could speak to this and already have begun to. I'll go ahead again. <laughs> Always happy to be the, the first go ahead. Um, it's, I don't, when we founded Navatman, I don't think we founded it with the idea of community in mind. I should say that. It wasn't an intentional, purposeful thing that we were doing. Our goal was that we believed in this very specific ideology of Indian classical arts, which is this beautiful thing we get um, from something called Guru Shishya Parampara, so to speak, like the passing down of lineages and traditions through dance and music. Um, and we believe that through the voice of art and music, we could share our culture with other people. We could share different ways of thinking about storytelling and um, really affect each individual person through our dance and music. What happened within that, community was not a word I started using often, is that we attracted people who believed in that same sort of um, vision, I would say, that, that idea that music and dance can change and transform a singular soul. And in doing so, I, I think of us not necessarily as interacting with the built world around us, but rather saying, hey, we are a group of people who, if you also think that this might be of interest to you or something you want to explore, that we are here and open to that and kind of going from there. And that's how the larger community, per se, got built. Um, it now, I think, defines itself as a community because there are so many of us who are here kind of propagating that idea in that space. And But I think not so much less of the idea that we are outreaching to lots of different groups of people and saying we would like to work with you we would like to be part of you we kind of grew side of all of that stuff and say well we're happy to work with everybody just let us know what you want us to do like we're here for you guys that's a, a slight different i think way of thinking about how we approach it here at Navatman. 
I don't know if Keisha would agree with that as well. Keisha, feel free to jump in. I would definitely. And what I also wanted to add to that um, was, oh my gosh, I think I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, what I wanted to, okay, there we go. Nope. Sorry, can you come back to you in a minute? <laughs> I had it and I lost it. No worries, it'll come back. <laughs> we'll, we'll jump in now and yeah, I think I think that um, for the Godown, maybe there's um, because I was involved in the founding of the of the space, and I think that um, of course one can now look back and and think and 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 try to see where the shifts were, and what the intentions were, what changed. Um, I think in relation to this idea of community, there were probably two shifts. Uh, the first shift was really around um, appreciating very early on that. Uh, the kind of relationship that we had entered into with, with, with funders was not going to be sustainable. I mean, the go-down was seeded by funding. Um, and while this seemed exciting that there were donors who were coming into the territory and very deliberately looking at supporting the arts, you know, where previously, of course, the arts had been a, a sort of an instrumental tool for, for development messaging. Um, this, this was interesting and exciting to us and we thought, okay, finally somebody's kind of paying attention to, to art for its own sake and trying to put money in that direction. But I think that for us as a go down two years in, um, when the space that we had occupied, uh, you know, raised the rent and this was a huge warehouse. So go down means warehouse. Um, this was a huge warehouse. We sort of thought, or I thought, you know, this is not going to work. So I said to the funder, this is an interesting experiment, but it's not going to go very far because in another two years, we will not be able to afford this rent and you will not be funding us, I'm quite sure. So, so I think that triggered thinking both ways. I think for the funder, um, it, it triggered the, the question around what was the relationship that it should be having with us um, and, and how could it support our sustainability? And I think a big, a, big, a big step that they took, which I think was a very bold step, was enabled us to acquire the space. So, so the whole business of, um, of, of rent was certainly, you know, was, was no longer a, a problem. And what that did for us was to, to free us up to begin to think about the possibilities of being um, owners of property in the space, only this in the city. Um, what could we do? What did this mean um, that we were, we, were, we were proprietors of the city in a sense? So that was, that was one, one shift that happened. But the second shift that happened, which connects more directly to, to the idea of community, was that, of course, early on in the first two years when we were programming, we were following a very traditional route of, of programming spaces as the Westwood program. So, so, you know, so what is the exciting things that we want to put on in music or visual arts? Um, how do we reach out to audiences? And even the language was really a language of audience development. And of course, nobody came or very few people came and we sort of wondered what's going on. Why are people not coming to, to, to attend? And, and so we, we then reflected on this and said, well, what is community doing instead? What are they interested in? Um, how come we're not connecting? And so we, we, we then sort of said, we need to take some steps back. We need to look at what this whole idea of setting up an art, an art space means. What is our relationship with the city? What is our relationship with the communities of the city? What value do we bring them, if any value at all? And actually, what is, what is arts practice? What are we doing? 
and so that that then be, began the the journey that that you know that sort of um was 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 the genesis of our intersection with with um the built environment with the whole idea of community with the whole idea of nation making and city making that continues today okay um okay i'll jump in now and um I'll, I'll come from a very personal space and, you know, because of course I wasn't there at the inception of the go down. And uh, I mentioned before that I first came in there to bring in students um, to, to events. And one of the things that I did find there, and here I'm going to make a, a link between art and education, was that part of the change that had happened in the Kenyan educational curriculum was that art was dropped as a subject. Um, now my daughter is an artist and she was um, studying art at a different institution and she needed um, support, she needed help. So when I went to the go down, I found resident artists. Uh, and I remember asking um, the manager, you know, do you have programs where I could bring my daughter and, you know, she could work with, with somebody over here over the holidays? And she mentioned yes, that, yes, they have, you know, so many artists, but that there was um, a couple in particular who worked with students over the holidays. And so I took my daughter in there and, um, you know, she worked with one of the artists and it was an amazing experience for her and really, really good for her exam as a parent. You know, I was, I was very excited about that. But I think what it did was, you know, here I was as a parent wondering what to do with my child. And there was this space within the community that actually offered this kind of support. And for me, that was really, really exciting. And so because I, I then started going there often, um, I think I remember one, one afternoon sitting with, uh, with Joy and Judy, uh, who was the manager, and they were like, do you want to come and work with us? And I was like, no, you know, I mean, I've got a job. But because what they did was so exciting and because the art really did seem to be making a difference, because as I took my daughter in, I noticed other people, you know, coming in, doing different things. Um, and it was not just the the fine artists that I found in there, there was recording, um, you know, there was uh, fashion, people uh, making bags, you know, doing all sorts of, of exciting things. For me, the, the draw was that this really did seem to be a, a community space and it spoke to me in a way that, uh, for instance, the university didn't because a lot of these things I found we were not doing in the university. And so, um, its location within community. And then the other thing, um, Joy, I don't know if you remember, um, I found was that within that area that the go-down is located, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, 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 the projects that the go-down was involved in, things like Dundam Tani, were happening and drawing in members of the community. And so for me, the relevance, you know, I mean, it, it spoke for itself. And, uh, and so now, of course, I think in the next question, we will go into what's happening now with the go down, you know, that because of the foundations that it laid, it's now able to move to that next, um, that next phase that I think we'll go into um, after this. Before we jump to that, is, uh, Keisha, did you have something you did want to add? Yes, it's more of a side note to one of the questions that was asked, but 
what I've gotten through the different performances I've gotten to take a part of and the different events that I've had a opportunity to curate with Novotman is that the demystification and the de-exotification of this art form actually comes up a lot more than I thought it would have. Because for me, I've been dancing, doing different styles from different cultures since I was like a little tot. So to me, everything is dance. I'm just looking at it as this is a new culture. This is how I want to respect it. This is how I want to learn. I want to learn as much as I can from it. But what I've seen is because it's not a European art form, you know, it gets labeled as exotic. It gets thrown together with what are seemingly similar art forms. It gets labeled as world music instead of being what it really is. You'll see it as world music. You may not see it as Indian classical. You may not see it as Hindustani. You may not see it as Carnatic, which in a way kind of, which in a way, no, actually does take away from how deep and how vivid each of these forms go. So there is that aspect of demystifying and de-exotifying it. And there's the personal aspect of it for me too, because I'm Black, I'm in Indian space. The number one question I get is, hey, you're Black, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing something like hip hop or maybe Caribbean? And I'm like, I have done those and I enjoy it, I love it. But when I finally got to see but nothing performed up close and personal. And I got to really just take in so much of that art form from that one performance. I was just like, oh my goodness, this is something that I need to learn. I love a challenge. There's so, so, so much to learn in any one of these art forms. And anyone can go on and on about so much that you can get from it. But it was just such almost like a deep awakening for me, so when people say, hey, you're Black, why do you do this? I'm like, because it's art. I'm an artist, I love art. Kind of wanted to build on what Keisha was saying there. I think she brings up a really important point before we move on, which is what Navatman does is very culturally specific in an American space. So the troubles that we come up with are really the most often trying to explain to people what this is and why it structurally is going to look different from every other American organization in the city. So, uh, and what I mean by that is, and I, I think that's kind of important to differentiate because um, certain organizations I think are built for bringing art to everybody in the city. Ours is more to show this particular art form in a space that doesn't really have it or have access to it or has only just started to have other organizations pop up that also support this culturally specific vision. And the difficulties that we face, I think Keisha, you were mentioning that is this sort of sense that like, what happens if you're a culturally specific organization and who gets to learn and who's part of that and things like that. And though we are clear and you know, Keisha, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that our goal is, yes, everybody can learn this art form. Everybody is invited to our space. 
um, there's sort of these built-in perceptions that we're constantly trying to deal with as an organization here in Manhattan. Same goes for, I think, even things like how we structure our classes. It comes from a totally different space of cultural understanding and learning. How we structure our performances comes from a different cultural space of understanding and learning. And yet, we're required to sort of also fit into the, the Western organizational space. And that has created both a lot of confusion for us <laughs> as we try to navigate that system and a lot of confusion, I think, for um, how we get categorized here in the U.S. Uh, and things like that. We are folk art here in the U.S. And I don't know, like all sorts of terms in my head to me have to be constantly be questioned. What does it mean to be a folk art versus a classical art? What does it mean to be classical and how that plays into uh, funding? Because ultimately, these terms were given to us by the British 50 years ago or 60 years ago. And then now we're trying to be like, okay, now can we have money and space and funding and organizational stuff to do everything that you have now put us this kind of packaged into that doesn't really fit us or make sense in terms of our culture, our learnings, our teachings, but yet we can't subsist without it. So. I think kind of wrapping back to what Keisha was saying is like those things um, are, are, are spoken to in each aspect of the learning, of the dance, of the, the explaining. I'm not sure if I'm making much sense. I'm losing my clarity here, but hopefully everybody's getting what we kind of tried to put together between the two of us and go from there. I think you're making great sense. Um, I think you're sparking a lot of question. So let us let Joseph move on to the third question and then we will open the floor. Hi all. Uh, yeah, this is Joseph. Thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, I'm in the Colonial Practices program uh, class as well. Uh, so uh, just just very briefly, we know the Go Down Center, Art Center is in Kenya. Navatman is in New York City. So us as a class, we wanted to know, uh, based on your experiences in Nairobi after the post-election violence of 2008 and the Who project, which I believe, Garnett, you were the neighborhood coordinator for that, and the Black Lives Matter movement in Nairobi and New York, could you all discuss how you think about and attempt to structure black and brown solidarities? And on top of that, how do you connect to the African, South Asian, and diaspora neighborhoods in Nairobi and New York? You've begun to answer these questions, so I'll maybe just ask you to build on what you've already begun. Who'd like to begin? Ghana, do you want to give it a go? Do you want to start with Nainu or? You're on mute, Garnet. I was thinking, Joy, you go first. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, because I think, um, Joseph, I coordinated one of the neighborhoods. We had, you know, a lot of neighborhoods, so I coordinated one of them. So I think, Joy, probably you give us an overview, and then maybe I can talk a little bit about that neighborhood. Sure. Okay, so thanks. Thanks, Joseph, for that question. Yeah, I, th I think there's a number of different things there. And of course, they, they intersect, um, and, and, but they can also be quite independent. So the post-election violence 
um, was, you know, a sort of a, a cyclical thing that we, we, we have come to expect in, in, in Kenyan politics. It's, um, the, the 2008 one was particularly violent and that's why I think that one stands out. But, you know, with each election, there's always some sort of uh, challenge. And so that is violence of um, political opponents basically rousing tribal um, antagonisms and, and pitting communities against each other. So, so, so that is kind of an internal um, uh, sort of community disagreements and violence within, within, within the Nairobi space and actually the wider Kenya space. The 2008 um, violence acted out in the city for sure, um, uh, in, in, in particular neighborhoods of the city, but also, but also across the country. Um, Naini who was nothing to do with the violence necessarily, but of course, one was one was aware that um, that the city is segregated, um, and it was segregated even even before independence. So the city was 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 designed very deliberately as as a city of of, of three races: um, the the white race, the brown race, and actually not for the African race. <laughs> The African race was was a visitor, a laborer in the city. Um, so, so one of the things that that we we looked at and found and saw in Nainihu was, um, of course, that those those boundaries and those barriers. And part of the idea of the festival was to try and and break those barriers um, by asking residents of the city to to um, celebrate their neighborhoods and invite residents from other parts of the city to come into those celebrations. So that's what um, Naini Hu was about. So, so in a sense, um, probing the whole question of how we look at and consume uh, culture as urban folk, um, but also how we, how we experience the urban, um, and particularly an urban space that, 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 that was um, uh, segregated from its inception. Um, and then of course, the, the post post-independence challenges of, of, of the new nation um, and tribalism and, and, and again, those sorts of barriers that, 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 come, into, that come into the space. Um, so yeah, so Naini who sort of partly addresses that, but its, but it's, primary, its primary intention really is, is for, for, for the city and the go-down to together to try and understand what, what a city is and what cultural institutions in a city should be about, um, and, and actually what cultural markers begin to define city and space for us, um, and, and, and what, our, what our sort of dreams and visions are around how the city should grow um, and how the city should be. So, so, that, so, that, is, so that is Naini Hu. And Garnet then was um, uh, the driver of one of the well, not the driver. I mean, the Godin never really drove any, any of the programs, but, but helped to coordinate um, residents in particular neighborhoods into forming, into forming their programs. And, and, and Garnet, maybe you want to speak to, to what that was like and what you saw there. Thank you, Joy. Okay, um, I'll, I'll start with the post-election violence as well, just to flag that the Godin did um, hold an exhibition around, you know, the post-election violence called Kenya Burning. And uh, I should 
give you kind of a warning around because they did publish a book which I think you can, <laughs> you, you, you might want to look at, but it does come with a warning because the images, I mean, I still find it difficult to look at those images. They're really, really horrible. It was, it was um, for me, almost an unimaginable um, time in, in, in Nairobi um, because I, I grew up in Nairobi and seeing that, you know, suddenly there was no-go areas, um, there was pamphlets warning you not to do this and not to go here. Um, you know, I had to leave my house because um, I was, my house is in the wrong zone for, you know, the language that I speak. So I went and stayed with my mother-in-law uh, until, you know, the, 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 the violence kind of passed. So it, it really was a, a, a traumatizing um, time for us in terms of you know beginning to question belonging and and all sorts of things in the city but from there i will take you into the beginnings then of um of, of naimi who um joy remember we had those conversations um you know with different groups of nairobians and kenyans um over a period of time and there were you know uh, questioning identity and belonging as Kenyans. And one of the things that kept coming out of all the conversations was somebody would stand up and say, you know, I'm so-and-so um, and, you know, I live here, but I don't really belong to Nairobi. You know, I come from, and then they'd mention, you know, their parents, uh, you know, place of origin. Some of them had never even been there, but there was this sense that you really did not belong in the city, even if you were born in the city. And uh, of course, this comes out of the colonial history that Joy was referring to, where Africans came in as labor. And even if they had housing built, it was built as really tiny accommodation that did not take into consideration family because you worked and then you went back to the village. And so, um, here we were in, you know, 2000 and something and thinking that we're still of the mindset that we do not belong in the city. We do not have a birthright. And Kenya has been independent since 1963. Um, the colonialist is not there, but the mentality has not shifted. Um, and so um, one of the things that the go-down then decided was that we were going to go in, okay, and so you take the different neighborhoods, because if, if people are not engaged, if they do not belong, then they cannot act within their neighborhoods to change things. And so go into the neighborhoods, see how people actually sit there and how they relate to their neighborhoods. And so this was part of the, of the, of the thrust of Naini Hu. Now, Joy threw me in at the deep end, I will tell you, because she gave me this area, which is um, uh, the blue zone. It's called the blue zone because the UN is there, Muthaiga is there, um, Roslyn, and these are predominantly white areas, and I didn't live there. And so I kept thinking, okay, how will I go in and get these people to do activities so that, you know, I fulfill my part of, uh, of naive. So it was a real challenge. But the way in which um, I then did it was that um, we got the residence association uh, representative who I happened to know, and we organized it through the residence association. Now, already 
um, I'm flagging the residents association because of course a lot of the other neighborhoods do not have a residents association. Um, they have different ways of organizing. And so um, I took groups from our neighborhood at the go down, uh, Mukuru and places like that. And we went across to Roslyn to a horse riding couple um, who, who run a, a stable and, you know, we had the, the you know, the, the students and their teachers interacting, having um, lessons and um, really, really connecting. I mean, this was, this was I, th I think for me, really exciting because the couple in Roslyn were excited, you know, to meet, you know, the guests from, from the other side of the city. And in fact, they made a commitment that anytime we wanted to go in and have lessons, they were going to give them free. And so it, it was a really, really good connection. The other trip we did make was uh, with one of the schools to the UN to see what happens there. Because of course, you know that the UN really, I mean, even getting in there was a challenge because of all the barriers, the security barriers. And you know that, you know, after the post-election, um, no, not post-election, after things like 9-11 and the war on terror, and of course, Nairobi has been a target that the UN is a fortress. And so these people from this school that is next door to the UN had never even dreamt of going in. And so going in for them was, um, was really exciting. But even as I say that, I remember one of the students had been to New York to present a paper at the UN headquarters. And so again, you know, the little surprises that, you know, that even as they're very local uh, some of them are very exposed on a on, on, on a global stage so it there was a lot of really exciting um things that came out of there we met a lot of interesting people we had one of the oh, one of the, oh. i don't want to interrupt these these are wonderful small moments but i've also just noticed the time and yeah. i want to give um sahi and okay. Keisha a little space also to give some yeah. back with this question Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I will end it there, but I'll just say that in terms of questioning identity, this is actually where we, we, we got into really interacting with community and getting to know what people felt about their city. Thank you. Okay, I'm on. Hi. So just in regards to the attempt to structure and examine these solidarities. You know, you don't just run in to that big of a discussion and say, okay, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to fix that. No, you have to assess the situation. You have to see where the community that you're speaking to, where the people that you're speaking to are. So if this is a topic or a discussion that you're trying to get people to be aware of, to understand how deep it runs, how important it is, and why it became such a big movement, why Black Lives Matter became such a big movement. You really have to give, even if it's the people you're trying to educate, educate. You have to give them a moment to tell you where they're at, because how can they value what you're saying or understand what you're saying if they're at level one? If the words you have to say are at level 55, but they're starting at the very beginning, it's all gonna go over their head. And then it becomes frustrating for them, it becomes frustrating for you, and then you don't know, 
does this person really want to learn? So many different things start to come up. So Novotman for like the past three, almost four months now, it's been discussion after discussion after discussion. How do we address this with our immediate community, with our students, our parents, our patrons, with staff itself, our teachers? Where does everyone stand? What is everyone seeing? How is everyone affected by it? And then you also have to think about the kids. You know, we have, I don't know, I want to say at least 200, 300 adorable kids who come to class, bouncing around through the Zoom windows every day. And you have to think about how is this affecting them? Even if they can't completely comprehend it, you know, it's still happening in their world. They're growing up with this, even if they can't directly address this and say, this is how this event makes me feel. This is what I see. You know, they're like four or five, six, a lot of it goes over their head. Maybe at 10, 12, some of them can begin to identify some things and use the vocabulary that they want to use to get across what they're feeling. But that's difficult. And as a kid, how do you go up to adults and say, hey, so here's what I'm feeling about this and that and race and Black Lives Matter. Like, that's a difficult discussion. You have to give them that space. You have to see how they are. You have to take care of them first and let them speak first. So it's been, again, discussion, discussion, seeing how can we reach out to them? How can we help them? How can we get them to understand so that they become proper allies so that they can discuss this amongst themselves, so that they can discuss this with their classmates and go forward with a positive viewpoint, with something that benefits them, with something that can benefit someone else when they speak to them. I'm gonna um, go ahead and give some kind of practical examples, I think, which is something that may be of help for those who are community community building in their spaces but essentially so Navathman has I, I think I will say we have always been sort of very a politically aware organization not necessarily because of ourselves but because for whatever reason our staff members are very passionate always about inequities and wanting to see how we can adjust them whether that's like going into places and giving free classes, it goes into our financial structure. If a student can't afford to pay for class, they just have to tell us. No loops, no holes, nothing. And we kind of work with them to make sure that they can continue to attend art classes because we think art is that important in a student's life. And the, we talk about our students a lot because one, it's one of our biggest aspects of what we do, teaching arts to student adults and kids of which we have equal amounts and also because that is one of our biggest power structures what i mean by that is that the relationship between the teacher and student is often a mentor mentee relationship that lasts 18 20 years of their lives after college they come back i still learn from my teacher i've been learning from her for 30 40 years so it's a lifelong relationship that this kind of indian classical art structure creates so that means you have a lot of power. The students are listening to what you're saying. Um, and so we take that very seriously. And kind of things to consider were when this first happened, we had to sit down and start from scratch again. We had to say, okay, we think 
we're not, uh, you know, an equitable organization. We think we're an inclusive organization, but are we really? So one is you can't say that you are not racist and then not go back and reinspect your values as an organization. You have to go back and do that. And that was really hard for us. I think that was like this sense of how do we, where do we even begin with that? How do we even know? Who's gonna tell us whether we are or aren't? Um, and I, I picked up the phone and I called people. I was like, do we believe this about them? Do you feel that you were treated this way at this organization? And like it or not, not every org uh, answer came back positive. So we had to go back and say, okay, well, is that us? Is that something that we couldn't control? There's more, are there more aspects to it? Was one. Two was we also had to really eschew a lot of the, the stuff that was being told to us by social media, how to handle situations. And if Keisha, you're okay, I'd like to um, use us as a personal example. If you're not, it's totally fine. I'll go another, okay. Thanks, Keisha. Sorry, I should have asked earlier. But um, <clears throat> right now, uh, Keisha is one of the only black staff members at Novotman. We've had others in the past and things like that. But a lot of the stuff that you see on social media was don't bother your, uh, you know, other members of your organization and ask them to help you with things because you're tokenizing them, this, that, and the other thing. So we took that advice, and I think we didn't ask for her opinion on one or two things in the effort of trying to give her space and breathing room. And actually, she was kind of like, I want to support you guys. Ask me. So in that, we had to have a discussion and be like, oh, this is where I'm coming from and you're coming from. Otherwise, that could have been a really potentially bad situation where it feels like it's just all based in race and this, that, and the other thing. So that discussion is something that we've had to have repeatedly over many, many, many weeks. And I mean that from the sense of even things like the Guru Shishya Parampara, which I keep leading back to, is a power structure. The teacher holds a lot of power over the student. The student, and the, uh, because they've been learning for so long, the student often comes to really love the teacher, trusts everything that they say. And so you have to be careful. And not only with that, the student is often asked too, there's this concept of seva. We work in our space. Our students come in and they clean our space with us. Ours, I clean the space as well, but they're expected to do tasks outside of learning that are intended to create discipline and structure and all sorts of little holistic learning lessons. So now we have to kind of go back to that. Can you imagine if you're a student who's not Indian who doesn't understand this? And you're coming into this and you're saying, well, that seems like it's absolutely incorrect. It seems like you're just serving someone and this, that, the other thing. All those discussions have to be peeled apart and had. Every place that there is a power structure, you have to go back and say, is this not just beneficial, but is this also a cultural space that we have to close the gap of understanding for the people around us so that they can see where we're coming from and also question that as you move forward. You can't be scared to question, but we are in the practice also of quote unquote preservation. We don't want all these things to disappear because they are effects of disappearing from colonialism. So you get stuck in a very strange place that you're constantly, constantly questioning everything and constantly um, discussing everything in a way that maybe other spaces don't necessarily seem that way. Another example is like uh, when you have a, a lot of uh, discussions on equity or your staff should be comprised of the world around you. Doesn't work for us because we are an Indian performing arts organization. 
that skill set of having 30 years of Indian dance or music is a requirement often to even enter the teaching doors. So that's a much longer space towards equity and we have to take that time to understand that we are going to look different, our solutions are going to be different, and giving us the space to get there. <clears throat> Thank you, Sahi, for explaining all that. I'm um, mindful of the time, and we, we wanted to give you all space to think through some of these subjects, and we've also, we're also pushing the edges of the, the time we've allotted for this conversation. But when we um, started this, um, the conceptualization of institutional inhabitations, we really thought of these two organizations and then all the meanings of these two terms. And um, I must say that in almost every way you've, um, you've, intersect you've intersected with all the meanings that we had hoped you would. I think you've really talked about the precarity of space itself. You've talked about your own inhabitations, your poetic inhabitations, what you aspire for. You've talked about how to build an institution. You've talked about how to inhabit a city um, you've talked about two inverse things, how a city can have um, a kind of relationship between various races, but also how minorities can live within a city, um, how the city itself can make up the nation or simply make up the local. I think um, some of what we wanted to do was really stir the pot and get at these questions of community in starting to think about what it mean, what are the building blocks of something like an institution. Because institutions don't come ready made. They actually come through exactly all these kind of, um, uh, let's say, uh, pieces that are in formation that you've, you've each been describing. And you've described them all very well from your different vantage points. Um, I don't particularly want to have the last word, but I'm, I am looking at the time and seeing that we've come upon the end of our discussion. So I, I um, think I have to take this moment and say that I'm so glad that we got to put these things on the table. We do have this um, question that we'll, we'll hold uh, in writing that I hope all of you can take a look at. And for now, um, I'd like to thank our guests. Um, we welcome our audience members to join us again in three weeks. We will have another Building Solidarities discussion and we hope um, to extend some of these discussions in yet another direction. And we invite you all to come back and join us again. So thank you so much. The broadcast will probably end now.
that concludes this episode of the Ray Sand Podcast. All music from this episode is by Rod Hamilton on his album Enchanted Forest. For updates on future episodes, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Race and Podcast, all one word. To access the show notes and more information on our guests, please visit the Society of Architectural Historians Race and Architectural History Affiliate Group page at saahraah.com. Thank you for listening.